this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we're continuing to introduce listeners to some of the content from our new series, The Next Tsunami and Diabetes, Getting Ahead of the Rising Tide, which is targeted at frontline treaters of patients living with type 2 diabetes, obesity, or other metabolic diseases. Unlike The Next Tsunami, which is published through Buzzsprout and distributed through Apple, Spotify, Google, and an array of distributors, Rising Tide is a subscription-only podcast, which means you need to provide identifying information about yourself to access the podcast. The challenge is that Nash Tsunami listeners keep asking me, so how do I get to hear Rising Tide to decide whether I would like to subscribe or not? Some ask because they're physician specialists looking for ways to educate treaters in their communities or institutions. Some listen because they're frontline treaters who stumbled on Rising Tide and like the idea of it. And a third group consists of commercial executives and drug device or diagnostic companies or clinical trial or site management organizations, all of whom view this podcast as a possible place to advertise or sponsor episodes. If you're one of those people, this conversation is for you. This weekend, we are sharing a conversation length cut from each of our previous Rising Tide episodes that you can access without getting into the series. Three of these will be from last year, and one will be from this year's first episode. Our final Vols episode will come from our initial introduction to Jeff Lazarus and the idea of global clinical care pathways in global public health. Last year, our second episode focused on the ACE guidelines published last May, one of the first set of guidelines to call for frontline screening of all patients with type 2 diabetes. Our Rising Tide co-host, Dr. Kenneth Cousy, was the first author on these guidelines. Joining Ken and me in this episode are the third author, endocrinology key opinion leader, Dr. Deanna Barr, and two of the three representatives in this screening process from AASLD, our good friends and hepatology key opinion leaders, Drs. Maru Ranella and Zobar Yanossi. This conversation comes from that episode and shares information from Drs. Yanossi and Ranella about the prevalence of NAFLD and NASH, particularly advanced in bridging fibrosis in the overall population and in segments enriched based on ethnicity or the presence of type 2 diabetes. The episode goes on to provide practical guidance for primary care and endocrinology on the basic blood work to commission so that you can perform tip 4, a simple screening test that will identify the 20% of type 2 diabetes patients with potentially severe liver disease who should be referred to specialists. But most of that falls outside the boundaries of this conversation. You would have to listen to the episode to get it. If you like this conversation, listen after the content portion ends. I will discuss how you can subscribe free of charge to the Rising Tide series. The conversation itself covers some territory we've never discussed on Nash Tsunami and places other content in a different context. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, enroll in the Rising Tide series and join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Zobar Yunasi. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease has always been, at least in the past 20 years, a growing and very important liver disease. What's become more clear recently in the past five years is that the burden of this disease is becoming much stronger globally. We've looked at burden of disease using global burden of disease sort of databases, the NHANE database from the United States, meta-analysis, and all of these suggest that the burden, both in terms of prevalence and mortality, is increasing. So when you look at the prevalence. About 25% of population had prevalence using a, a meta-analysis about five, six years ago. We just updated that meta-analysis and presented at the easel at the International Liver Congress, and the prevalence is now about 30%, 32%. But if you really look at sort of time and you look at, say, 2020, the global prevalence could be in the uh, sort of mid-30s. So this is very, very high prevalence. Now, when you look at the consequences of this disease, meaning both hepatic and non-hepatic 
hepatic consequences. They're also increasing. This is actually one of the most important and probably the most important liver disease in terms of hepatocellular carcinoma in the West as well as in, in Asia. And in fact, in the Middle East and North Africa, the burden of disease is actually probably the most rapid. When you look at what actually drives, what are the predictors of adverse outcome or bad outcome in this disease, diabetes is actually probably one of the most important drivers of adverse outcome. So the prevalence is higher in diabetics of the prevalence of NAFLD, the prevalence of the progressive form of fatty liver, which is NASH, is also higher. Mortality is higher in patients with diabetes. And in fact, when you add more components of metabolic syndrome, diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, when you add more components of, of metabolic syndrome, the increase in mortality and morbidity will increase. Now, the conundrum is that, on the other hand, the treatment is very limited for this disease, just lifestyle modification. There's no drug approved, although there are some drug options for people that can use it, but specific drugs for national not approved. But most importantly, awareness is quite low. And um, I've always been concerned that the awareness is low at where it matters, meaning in primary care setting and endocrinology setting. So those are the folks that will see most of the patients at risk. And if you if they don't understand the importance of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, then I think we are missing a great opportunity. So ACE guideline, which was supported by ACLD and developed focusing on endocrinologists, is an incredibly important step because ACE is now behind at sort of you know making NASH and NAFLD an important complication of diabetes, similar to diabetic retinopathy or other sort of vascular complication of diabetes. But now you have to think about liver complications, you need not pay attention to that complication. You use algorithms that are being developed with non-invasive tests to risk stratify patients so that if not all patients with diabetes would be at risk of bad liver disease, but some are. And if you use the algorithm that ACE put together for risk stratification, you will catch most of the patients who would be at risk. And I think that is a major, major advance in our field to raise awareness and to really engage our endocrinology colleagues to risk stratify patients who are at risk for this disease. This guideline probably is very consequential in practice of medicine. So Zobar, first of all, thanks for that introduction. One question for you. If people listening to this podcast are to take one thing away from it about the importance of dealing with the disease and increasing their effort to diagnose and to be attentive, what in your mind would be the one most important thing about the disease that they want to keep in mind? This is the most important liver disease in terms of promoting cirrhosis, liver cancer, and it already is the second indication for liver transplantation in the United States, and, and it's driven by primarily by component of metabolic syndrome and diabetes. So when you see a patient with type 2 diabetes, or if you see patients with multiple metabolic conditions, please pay attention to identify those patients, number one. And then, and that's really just looking at the risk profile. If you've got three metabolic risk factors, most of those, but 90-some percent of those patients will have fatty liver. So forget about fatty liver disease. And, you know, if you're, if you're not too concerned that, you know, what fatty liver disease is not going to progress, you need to find those fatty liver patients that then can progress. And that actually will be done through the algorithm so that when you find patients with diabetes or other conditions, use the algorithm to see if they're at risk for progressive liver disease. Okay. Anybody else have questions or comments for Zobir before we go ahead? So, Zobir, um, a lot of our endocrinologists deal heavily with people with type 2 diabetes. Why should they worry more about their people with type 2 diabetes and NASH? I mean, well, when you look at studies that looked at outcomes, mortality. Type 2 diabetes is an independent predictor of overall mortality in patients with fatty liver disease and also liver-related mortality. 
it. So their diabetic patients are going to be at risk for this liver disease. And also type 1 diabetes was not, quote unquote, by itself associated, but most of those patients was also changing, as you've shown, can changing into getting the profile of uh, patients with insulin resistant and type 2 diabetes. So I think both, pa- pa- you know, specifically patients with type 2 diabetes need to be assessed for NASH because diabetes is actually a predictor of mortality and bad outcome in these patients. Ken Kusi. Great. Thanks. Uh, that's a great point. And I think the endocrinologists and anybody with diabetes are getting a grip on that. So, I guess one more question for you. We talked in the previous episode about the San Antonio uh, Military Medical Center study that Stephen Harrison, Stephen was on with us last episode, that he published last year that said that in, in that study, I guess they found that the rate of uh, NAFLD among diabetes patients in that study was something in the range of 70%. And NASH was, I think, 35, if I remember correctly, roughly half of that. Slightly higher numbers than we've been talking about here. But is it realistic to think that numbers might get that high among asymptomatic patients of certain age? Yeah, we've done a meta-analysis a few years ago, and about 55 to 60% of type 2 diabetics had NAFLD, and about 25 to 30% have NASH, and about maybe 15 to 20% have advanced fibrosis. Now, that was a meta-analysis, and that, and that was sort of older studies. Uh, I would say that if you actually move that another 10 years, the numbers would be probably very similar to what Stephen has seen has shown. So probably the prevalence of NAFLD among patients with type 2 diabetes is probably about 65 to 70%, and NASH is probably about 30%. And I would say about 20% of patients with NASH would have F3 or 4 fibrosis that would make them, or maybe F2 and F4 fibrosis that would make them sort of be at risk for adverse outcome, because that stage of fibrosis is also a predictor of adverse outcomes. So I think Stephen's study is, is important to provide data and evidence for that. Okay, so so if I if I read that right, what you're telling me is if, if I'm an endocrinologist and I think about the last five diabetic patients that I've seen, three or four of them will have NAFLD, probably two of them will have NASH, and one of them will have clinically significant or advanced fibrosis. I would say at least uh, that's what you have to you have to think about. When you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. So I think that's the other thing that when I talk to my endocrinology colleagues, Sometimes they say, well, really, I don't see it. Well, you don't see it because you don't look for it. And when they develop bad, very advanced liver disease, they happen to just come to the transplant and hepatology. And by that time, a lot of the care becomes a, you know, somebody else's problem. But if you look at national data, global data, you see the picture very clearly that this is what's going to drive all of the uh, liver efforts for the next you know, decade or, or more. So, Maria had a question? Or comment? Maru Rinella. Yeah, I just had a couple of comments about that. So I completely agree with Zobar, and I will say specifically related to Stephen's study. I mean, that this is a perfect example of how there are different, there are significant differences across different ethnic groups. That particular study was highly enriched with Hispanic patients who have a higher risk of diabetes and higher risk of more significant liver disease or proportion of NASH. So that may be part of what's driving that, although I agree that the, definitely the trend is in, in that direction. And then Zobar, you had made a comment about the reason why perhaps maybe endocrinologists or primary care doctors may think that they don't see it. And I think that's for two reasons. One, because in, in diabetes in particular, and as, as a disease becomes more advanced, sometimes liver chemistry tests are normal. And I think that many physicians, including gastroenterologists, conflate that with the, an absence of liver disease. And so that's a major important point that liver chemistries can be totally normal in the context of advanced disease. And then the other thing is that even if you're looking with imaging, say, for example, 
example, ultrasound, which is the most commonly used test to look for steatosis, the sensitivity is not terribly high, number one. So you're going to miss people who have steatosis at lower degrees. And then paradoxically, as disease worsens, more fibrosis develops and cirrhosis sets in, you lose some of those features, including fat and inflammation. And on ultrasound, sometimes fat and fibrosis look pretty much the same. They cause the same ultrasonographic features. And so it becomes even more confusing. So hammering home the point that it's really the risk factors of presence of diabetes and other metabolic risk factors and not really even looking at liver chemistry tests unless they're persistently abnormal, in which case that portends a worse prognosis. I think that's a very important issue. And, and this is part of the reason that some of the guidelines and the other papers that Ken and, and all of you have, have participated, it's really not important to diagnose fatty liver and diabetics because you just presume they have fatty liver. What you need to focus on is that who has the potential fatty liver with significant fibrosis that will put them at high risk. I have to tell you, I'm doing actually a a prospective study of primary care and endocrinologists. It's a linkage study. We have screened about 13,000 individual patients using electronic medical records. The biggest problem in primary care right now, which is what we are trying to actually also advocate, is that you need to have some liver tests, not because you want to look at abnormal liver tests, but you need to have these liver tests to then calculate something that's called FIT4. And most of the primary care practices don't have actually the basic test, which is liver enzyme and a platelet count, to calculate FIT4. So I advocate this, that especially in your patients with metabolic conditions, have at least this test done in the past year so that you can ca- calculate FIT4, not to look for abnormal liver enzyme, but to look to see if they're at, at risk so that you can actually do that FIT4 initial step for screening in that in that context. But you know, using an ultrasound or using a CT scan or or looking for abnormal liver enzyme to quote unquote look for fatty liver disease is probably not worth the effort and it does take time and probably resources. Just find your patients with type 2 diabetes, especially those that have metabolic sort of abnormalities. Use the FIP4 test in the past year to risk stratify them. And as you know from the study in, in the primary care setting from England, from UK, 80% of patients will be excluded, meaning that they will not have advanced, you know, risk for advanced liver disease. But that 20% will need to be assessed whether they have bad liver disease with additional tests, and that's what we are recommending. Really important is that in this study, there is a great deal of apathy and sort of not a lot of interest from patients' perspective. Even though that they are told that you you have this substantial risk for significant liver disease, they you know you need to be screened if you have you know whether either transgenic astrography or an ALF test, enhanced liver fibrosis test, or whatever to see if you're at risk. And we have actually surveyed them to see what are some of the reasons that they don't want to go to the next step. Some reasons would be well, really I don't need another diet diagnosis, what treatment is going to change. So those are the kind of things that we get from patients. However, it's really important to tell them that this is a disease that can impact your life and your quality of life and your longevity. And in that context, there are actually things we can do now, even before the new drugs come through that would risk stratify you. For example, if you have advanced liver disease or if you have F4 you know, liver disease, you need to be screened for liver cancer. And those are the kind of things that if you screen them and catch them early can be managed much better than, than patients who are very advanced. So there is going to to be a need to educate our primary care colleagues, our endocrinology colleagues, but also our patients. Patients are important in the general population and need to understand that this is an important liver disease that need to be paid attention to and not ignored. I want to make one more comment and I'll, then I'll stop talking. But I think Zobair raises another really important point and that is one of the biggest points of reluctance, at least even in the, in the GI liver community, is why screen? Because we don't have treatment, right? And that is something that could not be further from the truth. So even though we don't have an FDA approved treatment, we have effective intervention, 
interventions, which are basically lifestyle interventions, especially if support is provided for ongoing care. And then secondarily, there are several drugs that are approved in the diabetes space and in the obesity space that really can have profound impacts on this disease. And now back to Roger. I hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you want to subscribe to Rising Tide, simply go to the surfingnash.com homepage, click the Rising Tide link on the top banner. You'll go to a page that offers two ways to subscribe. And whether you choose the one episode or full experience option, you will become a subscriber. And if you want to learn more about sponsorship, just contact me directly at roger.green at surfingnash.com. We'll be back to our traditional Nash Tsunami format next week to discuss pediatric and adolescent Napoli and Nash with three guests, our friend Naeem Al-Khwari and two first-timers, Drs. Rohit Kohli and Miriam. Boss. Until then, stay safe, surf on, we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.